How do you how do you cough, RJ? <coughs> Like Sounds about right. Like, <coughs> like you're right. The thing, yeah. She's just very convincing. She's very convincing. Then <laughs> so you coughed once and then coughed a second time. Like, oh, it's actually there. We are. It's actually getting to me. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of. I don't know history. My name's Alex. I'm here as the historian today. And as always, I'm joined by my bright-eyed companion, RJ Davis. Say hello, RJ. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Are good. you happy that I described you in a more positive manner? Yes, it's, it's quite nice. It's a nice summery day, so I feel like it's, we're, it's we're in It's suddenly got very hot again. Yeah. It was cool for a couple weeks, maybe a week. The hottest 10 years in history, apparently. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Because of all that, uh, all that global warming that isn't there earliest one we've had so far i think so yeah <laughs> you brought it up i know the hottest 10 years ever well you know what else is very political and also a hot topic <laughs> i guess go on the american revolution well it's funny you should say that archie <laughs> <laughs> this is an awful segue <laughs> Continue. Yes. i mean maybe that's why i'm the host yeah i don't know no, that's not true. I did, you, you've hosted a multitude of successful podcasts. Yes, but not a history podcast. That's and also, true. I don't know, history is PodMage's most successful, most subscribed to, and most listened to podcast. I want to take this time to thank all our subscribers. Um, thank you so much for subscribing. It really makes doing this all worthwhile. And please follow us on Twitter at HistoryIDK. You can just type in IDK History and you'll also find it. But it's at History IDK. Cool. Yes. Right, on to the episode. <laughs> RJ, you've already mentioned what we are covering today. Uh, it is the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. How much do you know about the American Revolution? Based on our previous discussions on podcasts, I feel like it's your most it's the most well versed period of history that you mm. that you have. <laughs> I was just gonna we're, start singing Hamilton. We're about to find out if that's true, aren't we? Seventeen seventy six. Um, New York City. Well, uh, no, that's that's kind of incorrect. What, no, that's where the Hamilton starts. Oh that's, right, that's, okay. I don't think it, I, I, we'll get to that. Anyway, so while uh, the American Revolution, the, the the crux of it happened, yes, in 1776. Um, we're going to be covering the years 1765 to early 1780s. Okay. In fact, at the beginning, there is going to be some bits that go back about a century beforehand, just to kind of give you a little bit of preamble about why the American Revolution happened. Uh, if you're interested more about the history of America, in season one of IDK History, we did do. Um, the discovery of America, mm -hmm. um, the Louisiana Purchase, and Christopher Columbus, even though he didn't discover America, and all the other stuff. And we've also done, in season one, the American Civil War, which is almost exactly 100 years after this happened. Um, Lincoln freeing the slaves, the Emancipation Proclamation, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's kind of nice to fill in that gap. Nice, a little bit. nice little centerpiece. It's not, um, and also we get to cover, you know, the Hamilton period. Yes. Which, since episode one, I have been talking about. <laughs> There's not a lot about Alexander Hamilton himself in this, but mm -hmm. it's very, um, yeah, so the events of Hamilton the musical basically take place. In <laughs> Any fan history. of history right now and not fan of musicals is going to probably not be the biggest fan of this However, episode. However, anyone who falls into the middle of that Venn diagram 
is going to be absolutely loving this. Yeah. Fans of history, fans of musicals, and fans of America. Mm-hmm. Like in the little in the little three way cross section, it's going to be the best thing ever. Anyway, let's let's get on to it. What is the American Revolution, RJ? A revolution in America. It is. Uh, it, it, you could probably say it's the most well known colonial revolt yes. in history against uh, well the United Kingdom. Well, um, of, 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 so in, interestingly, there are several different <laughs> iterations of it, um, as we've discussed in the formation of the United Kingdom episode, uh, episode one. Mm-hmm. of season two um, in 1707 it became the United Kingdom yeah so we're gonna begin before that when it was Great Britain yeah and then end in the United Kingdom end in the United Kingdom okay um, also I might say would it have been under King George III's rule then whilst it became the United the Kingdom Queen Anne Queen Anne okay um, I was just wondering because it was a very close period of time that I was like where, where's it going to line up? Where's the... Where's the George III is, is 1770s, late 1760s as well. Okay. Um, the U, it became the UK. Oh, yeah, because it was the beginning. Yeah, I get... Yeah, I, I messed up there. 1706, you said? 1707. Yeah, 1707. Between England and Scotland. There we are. That's... Um, also, I will just early. say... Um, for any Welsh, Scottish, and Irish people listening, I will occasionally use the word England to mean the United Kingdom. That's just how it was back then. There were to be fair. A lot of legal speak said the rights of Englishmen and you mm-hmm. know, England to mean the, the entire country. So um, if that comes up, don't be, don't be hurt. Was um, Scotland technically part of Great Britain at that point yes. anyway? Oh, uh, I, I the, should, I need to, before, I should remember. Before 1707, no. After at 1707, this point, yes. yeah, okay. I thought yes. you meant when you it go was, with, sorry, I'm interrupting. So let's begin. Let's do a little bit of um, origin and preamble to the, you know, late 18th century when this happened. So um, in 1650, as far back as 1651, the English government sought to regulate trade in the American colonies. Um, a lot of a lot of what this is to do with that and um, like political tensions between colonists and um, British people was to do with trade and taxation and representation. Mm-hmm. But here is just uh, an example of this. So um, the Navigation Acts were passed in October 1651, and they barred American trade with nations other than Great Britain. Yeah. Being a colony. Uh, it was to ensure that Great Britain prospered from the trade. Uh, it's, it's unclear whether or not the trade deal like actually affected American merchants and colonies, but the problem was the political ramifications were much more serious as it was the larger, more politically influential merchants who were affected. Um, the taxes were very, all, all throughout the American sort of this period. The ta- taxes were actually very low, but it was it was just the fact that they were being taxed in order to make Britain money without any of that coming back to them. Oh right, okay. Um, so it's like all taxes in Wales go to fixing roads in England. Yes, there and are. like you're just not allowed. There are no Welsh MPs. Yeah, just imagine that. Wales is now in control of its taxes now, isn't it? We had letters. Uh, there, are, there are some, some, some things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it's done by Wales, but it still goes to the UK. So in America, there's, it's the same kind of thing. There's state tax, there's federal tax. Yeah. There's county tax and city tax as well. There's <laughs> five, so many. Five layers of. Um, Whereas us, it's kind of like two, but wanna, we pay it in if one. You, if you want to learn about the several different layers of tax, um, watch CGP Gray's video about um, Las Vegas. Ooh. 
That sounds fun. It's really good. I, I, I don't know why, just saying Las Vegas and tax, I was actually, that for some reason piqued my interest. It's, like, he doesn't, he, he briefly goes into the, the state, like the levels of tax that you have to pay into. And it's just really interesting. So anyway, yes, 1651, that happened in 1678. So I'm just giving you some, some reasons why colonists were unhappy with yeah. British overlords. American colonies fought a war against Native American Indians in New England in 1678 with almost no help from the British at all. Uh, it's, it's these sorts of things that really set out the differences between the American cultural identity and the British cultural identity, because obviously most of these people were British originally who had come over, but they started to think of themselves differently. Uh, in the 1680s, Charles II, who was a very popular king in Britain, and his successor James II and Seventh, um, who all in all was a very unpopular king, uh, sought to bring the colonies under more direct and centralized administration. So in 1686, the colonial charter was revoked and the colonies were placed into an administrative union, which governed regulation of trade, reformation of land title practices, more in line with English practices. So you'd have someone like the Duke of Albany, for example, things like that. Um, defense coordination, so Britain had direct control of uh, America's sort of defense yeah. spending and stuff like that, and fewer administrative centers. So the entire colony of New York, not New York, New England, was given to one governor, Governor Andros, and it just didn't work because he was too big, <laughs> he was far too incompetent. Um, but yeah, so that sort of thing it kind of gets is going to get Americans back. So each colony had its own charter originally, but generally they included uh, the rights of Englishmen, which is like a the, the, inalien the inalienable rights of Englishmen set out in the British Bill of Rights 1689 and the Magna Carta 1215, which is sort of local represent representative government. Um, like you, you got that before 1686 when they revoked that. You had your, your local representation. Um, taxation rights, and um, it was basically the rules laid out in the Magna Carta, as well as other legal documents. Yeah. So we move on to 1688 uh, in Great Britain. Something happened called the Glorious Revolution. Now, I don't know if you know what the Glorious Revolution is. Do you know what the Glorious Revolution is? It, it, no, I've never heard of it. It does sound glorious. It was glorious because it made the British people very happy. Oh, James of, oh of course, glorious is like a yeah. fancy... British word. So James the second and seventh. Do you know why he was called the second and seventh? Um, oh, I know this. We did this in an episode because he was the seventh of England and second of yeah. Scotland. Yes, but vice versa. Oh, I was going to say, uh, yeah. Um, so because obviously though it wasn't a union of states yet, you were still kings of multiple countries at the same time. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Yes, so it was a deposition of James II and Seventh in favour of his daughter, Mary II, and her husband, William III, yes. William of Orange. Uh, basically, the armies rebelled against James II and went, we don't want you as king anymore. If you're still here tomorrow when our other king shows up, we're going to kill you. Um, and he scarfed. Oh. <laughs> he went, he just abdicated. And, um, what do you do after I'm king of everything? Someone else comes up and you're like, oh, I have to leave. Like, you've suddenly gone from being the richest person in the land to probably one of the poorest? I don't know, to be honest with you. He might have taken some, been able to take some of his personal wealth with him. It's not like, you don't have 
like the king's wealth isn't transferred to the next king. Oh, people. I always just assumed yeah, yeah. like people have their own levels of wealth, and if the king dies, he just like that gets given to his son and stuff. Ah, because I always imagined it like mm-hmm. the king has the right of the royal family's like vault of money like Scrooge McDuck he gets money from like they own a lot of land yeah and you do get the you get the possession of that land and the rent and stuff but it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily there is what is in the royal coffers but like people had there was state wealth and personal wealth Mm -hmm. we covered this in the Iranian revolution episode yeah how the Pahlavi dynasty had state wealth and personal wealth and that was too the line between that was too blurry yeah which was a problem anyway so yes, um, they invited his daughter Mary, who became Mary II, and her husband William III, who's a Dutchman, um, the o- and they became the only married couple ever to co-rule as monarchs. Um, yeah, which is, is interesting, nice, nice I, I like, It's good, I, I think. I love me a co-rule, like a democracy. <laughs> I mean, you could you could argue that um, th- there's no point in co-ruling. She yeah. was the person who is in line to th- in line to the throne she should just rule and he should be her consort yeah but then you could also argue that like she's just good having more than one person as the head of state is just a good idea yeah you know anyway so this gave rise to a number of revolts in the colonies so for example the 1689 boston revolt which was a populist uprising against sir edmund andrus the governor of the new england dominion mm-hmm. and Lysless rebellion which happened in new york also in 1689 against lieutenant governor francis nicholson um so they were basically rebelling against this, this lack of colonial government. Uh, William and Mary allowed colonial governments to continue their control in the wake of these revolts, and no further attempts were made to restore dominion status. Yeah, that's what the 1686 proclamation by James II did, basically. It made it, made it into dominion status. It wasn't its own sort of um, autonomous authority. It was a dominion of the British crown. Like any of its, like Anguilla and the Caribbean islands, yeah. for example. However, taxation on wool, hats, and molasses were um, still heavy and egregious. Uh, in 1733, the Molasses Act, which is the funniest <laughs> law I've ever heard, was particularly damaging to the colonists as it was a particularly significant trade good in America. It's so weird that molasses is so big back in these like time periods. And especially... And- we barely hear about it now because it's we're just treacle. like we call it treacle I, I, yeah but we don't use it as much as it's clearly used back then in America kind of, it was used it's used, used still a lot more oh is it as like a sweetener in cakes and stuff like that oh uh, right I guess for us we kind of use it like just sugar well, and sweeteners and um, what's that syrup we put on pancakes like here golden uh, syrup yeah so on maple syrup yeah golden yeah, syrup maple syrup so much it's, it's interesting that you say that actually because obviously during this time when we had a lot of trade from America, we did get a lot of molasses because America belonged to us, yeah. belonged to the British, so we could just basically sail back anything we wanted. Yeah. After this happened, America, after the American Revolution, America had a lot more say over what it could trade and what it didn't want to trade. So mm-hmm. if it kept more of the molasses there, then, you know, there we go. That's, that's why Britain doesn't have so much molasses anymore. Weird. I know, yeah. This is really like nitty gritty detail on this. So they were rarely paid these taxes of the molasses act, and smuggling, bribery, and intimidation of tax collectors was commonplace. 
American colonists also resented the loss of colonial lives in wars between Britain and France over colonial territories in the American continent, because obviously at that point you had New France, which was in Newfoundland and Quebec area and things like that. We had the French colony. New France. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Henry Gibson, one of the most prominent revolutionary historians, wrote, it may be said as truly that the American Revolution was an aftermath of the Anglo-French conflict in the New World carried on between 1754 and 1763. And I would agree with that. Uh, in 1756, the, uh, the Seven Years' War broke out, it was called. Uh, it could be considered the First World War, really, uh, as it took place in multiple theatres in Europe, America, West Africa, and South Asia. It was between Great Britain, Prussia, Portugal, and Brunswick-Luneburg, and France, the Holy Roman Empire, led by Austria, Russia, Spain, and Sweden. So two great big super blocks, very similar to the First World War, in fact. It was a large colonial war started in the American theater between Great Britain and France. It was uh, that basically France wanted more land, Britain wanted more land. It was kind of technically unclaimed territory at this point, so they were fighting over it. Yeah. Um, due to conflicting alliances on either side, it escalated into a full-scale war in Europe as well. So you had France fight. The Holy Roman Empire is essentially a con the conglomeration of German states, uh, with the exception of Prussia in this instance. It was won by the British, Prussian, and Portuguese alliance, leading to France losing all of its colonial holdings yeah. in America to Britain. Oh, that, that was so, quick. Yeah, so France is just it's out of there. Um, it, Bye. Really, it really hurt France's colonial power. And historians, as Lawrence Henry Gibson said, historians generally begin their analysis of the American Revolution after this event. Mm -hmm. So sort of, are you okay? It's just a fly flying around me. <laughs> So then in 1763 followed the Royal Pro Proclamation. George III, as we spoke about, uh, made these new lands that were, that were given to Britain unsettleable yeah. by American colonists. Everything west of the Appalachian Mountains was given, to the, given back to the Native Americans, which these days would be seen as a very good thing. Mm -hmm. But at the time, obviously, colonists were wanting to get out there and make, make a name for themselves, not mm -hmm. make a fortune for themselves and settle lands and... You know, all the stuff that they did. It's like, um, they, it's like giving Wales, like, its own thing. Like, it governs itself, it does its mm. own thing. The Welsh have Wales. And then everyone in England being like, but we want the water from you. I think it's more like, imagine, imagine like North Wales was uninhabited mm -hmm. and hadn't been touched. And you go, all right, hey, South Wales, you can have North Wales. You can't go there, though. Oh. That's, that's, part, that's, part, of the whole, that's part of the whole Great Britain thing, but you guys can't sell there. It's not allowed. Uh, so weird. Yeah, it's a bit. So obviously this caused discontent with colonists who wanted to settle this new fertile land. Yeah. Um, and after protests, treaties were signed with the natives, moving the line further west, opening up Kentucky and West Virginia to colonization, and later North Carolina. Uh -huh. So you can see there's a bit of a bit of pushback every now and then. And mm -hmm. at the moment, the crown is kind of letting up a little bit. Um, as George III got increasingly ill, however, I think that probably got worse um, for a number of reasons. Um, taxation, obviously, that we're going to talk about now, was a big part of the American Revolution. One of the yeah. most famous and prominent reasons for the revolution. There were three acts of parliament passed that really gave us an idea of what the taxation was like. The Currency Act, 
which restrained the use of paper money in the colonies because they wanted to avoid counterfeiting, I think. But um, paper money is, is much more of a thing, or it was much more of a thing in America, still is now. They still have $1 bills, $2 bills, where yeah. we have moved away from that. The Sugar Act in 1764, which followed up from the Molasses Act, uh, which imposed customs on plantation owners, it lowered the amount of tax um, from the Molasses Act, but increased the effectiveness of measures taken to collect the tax. And the most important and the worst of all, the Stamp Act, 1765. So various printed materials, so newspapers, magazines, legal documents, books, playing cards, playing cards, right, would be produced on stamped paper made in London. So that would, oh. Yes. So they were just scamming their way to add more tax onto everything. Tax had to be directly paid on these materials. Like if you've got something made with this printed paper, you had to pay money to that London tax office. Yeah. That was the first time they directly taxed the American colonists. Before that, it was levies and tariffs which you yeah that's considered an indirect tax you get to buy something but you just have to pay a little extra on it yeah it's tax now it's like give us stamp tax yeah like yeah. the sugar tax essentially yeah the, yeah you may have heard of stamp tax i'm not sure it's quite quite it's, it's the the phrase is in my head but mm-hmm. if you ask me to describe it like no really even though i just said it to you no 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 i mean <laughs> prior to you level. saying cool. it so colonists did not object to the level of taxation um, but it was the lack of, uh, as we know, the lack of representation in governance, like from their tax. What was the saying? The, sac- the patriot saying was no taxation without representation, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So, as well as these things, right, there was a, a standing British army. They, they were very powerful political, politically powerful soldiers and generals and things like that. And they wanted a standing British army that they could be paid a living for just to just to be the army rather than having to do things like because that's not really how it worked in those days um but politically it was disagreed upon to have one in the uk itself during peacetime so they stationed it in america and it was pe- maintained and paid for with american money uh, it was about 15 1500 men mm-hmm. just just having to live and live there and being paid for by the american people uh, benjamin franklin argued that westminster had made many binding laws that affected the colonies without the colonists say, but the parliament argued they had virtual representation. Now the idea of virtual representation is that, say there is one MP for all of Wales. Or no, let's not even say that. Say there are no MPs in Wales. Yeah. The idea of virtual representation is that the people in parliament are supposed to represent, are there to represent everyone who lives in the country rather than just the people who are in their constituency. Mm -hmm. The reality of it is obviously that wasn't true. But that was kind of like the, oh, you have virtual representation. So, yeah. Uh, and as we know, prior to the Chartist Uprising in 1839, only landed men could vote. And Parliament also stated the colonies were legally British corporations and thus were entitled to, to, to levy, they were entitled to levy tax without approval. It also meant that people didn't own land, or it was much more difficult to own land in America as a colonist, therefore you couldn't vote. So on February 21st, 1766, the stamp tax law was repealed after these, after basically Benjamin Franklin talked the British crown down. Yeah. Um, but accompanying the repeal was the, declar- the declaratory, <laughs> quite difficult to say, which asserted Parliament's right to pass laws on American colonies as they would on British home soil, despite the fact they still had no representation. So there was further taxation on paper goods, glassware, and tea in what's called the Townsend Act of 1767, 
Uh, Americans responded with boycotts. They believed it was to make more money, not to increase trade, which is kind of true. Yeah. Um, further rioting led to the Boston Massacre in 1770, in which 11 people were shot by British soldiers, with five people dying. Um, the soldiers were acquitted of murder in American courts, and they were uh, represented by John Adams, the second president of the United States. Yeah. Um, but this event really took it a step further and began to sour colonial sentiment towards the British, because prior to that, it was just like sort of the wealthier people, the merchants, that kind of stuff, who didn't agree with the taxation. Whereas now it's everyone who's think they just killed a bunch of colonists. So it really began to sour relationships between British men and women and the colonials. Um, British Parliament intended in 1772 to start paying the salaries of governors and judges instead of American local authorities to try and decrease colonial influence. Um, this prompted Samuel Adams, who you'll know as being one of the most prominent Bostonian patriots. Yes. Um, one of the guys responsible for the Boston Tea Party, which we'll get to later. Uh, a prominent boycotter and pro-colonial to create committees of correspondence, linking American patriots in the colonies and establishing a framework for a potential government should the need ever arise. So they've got this kind of shadow network of, you know, communication between the colonies. Because before that, it wasn't really... There wasn't really that much communication between like Boston and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It was very much just, we will rise up and North Carolina won't even know. Yeah. So you can see, basically, I'm trying to let you know that like they set up this whole kind of... Secret. Yeah, I'm aware of this. Yeah. Like, it was all secret, like really yeah. secretive. Rather and than just a singular colonial kind of idea, there was this national identity of, this isn't okay. Yeah. You know? So we move on to the Tea Act, 1773. We're getting really close. Getting there. Um, So the Tea Act of 1773 was passed by the British Parliament. It lowered the price of tea to help it sell. It also regulated the sale of smuggled Dutch tea. Um, But merchants who had been legally selling tea stood to lose business, as did sellers of illegal Dutch tea, as they would be undercut. (laughs) So, you know, it, it basically everyone hated it. The legal merchants, the illegal merchants, they just didn't enjoy this this tea act at all. In New York and Philadelphia, in protest, tea was returned to Britain. They sent the ships back. Mm -hmm. In North Carolina, it was left on the docks to rot. What happened in Boston, RJ? The Boston Tea Party. Tell me what the Boston Tea Party was. They were chucking the tea into the river. Yes. During the King's visit as well, I think. I don't know about that. I don't... That's in my brain. It's in your brain, okay. Yes, but might not be true so well, let's just stick with the facts that we do know and yes. that was, was that they were chucking it into the Boston River well into the uh, Hudson into the, into the sea I think it was or the Hudson River yeah it could be the Hudson River um, in Boston they were, had, a, had a stern governor called Thomas Hutchinson mm-hmm. who insisted that the tea laden ships stayed in port mm-hmm. they were like no we can't send them back we'll leave them here so uh, in response Boston colonists swarmed these ships they were disguised as Native American Indians did you know that uh, no. Yeah, they were disguised as Indians. There was also Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Thank you. Yes. Um, they swarmed the ships and dumped uh, 10,000 pounds worth of tea into the into the harbour. This became known as the Boston Tea Party. There we go. Said. Uh, how much do you reckon 10,000 pounds is? Uh, back in then. Today's money. pound, three years. Three million. It's not quite that much. It's going to be about uh, 800,000 pounds. 800,000. I was like, chuck two extra zeros on it for the every every year. And I was like, one million. 
that feels like it's going to be more. Mm. But well, no. it's, it's, only, it's only 10 grand. I know, um, but it just felt like... Uh, you hear, you hear like, someone put away, like... If you put away a pound back in this time, you'd be a millionaire. And if you're like... In a million days. It's <laughs> like 30 years or something. Yeah. <laughs> more than that. It's a considerable amount of time. Anyway. Yeah. In response to the Boston Tea Party, the British Parliament passed what were called the Intolerable Acts. They, the British Parliament didn't call them the, intoler- the Intolerable Acts. Yeah. They didn't go, we shall pass four Intolerable Acts. They've become to known as the Intolerable Acts because they mm-hmm. forced Americans into into action. Yeah. Uh, four acts of parliament that were completely unacceptable to Americans. And they were, number one, the Massachusetts Government Act, which restricted town meetings in the colony. Like, you just weren't allowed to have public meetings. Uh, two, Administration of Justice Act, which ordered that trials for British soldiers could not take place in America. Uh-huh. They had to come back to Britain. Uh, three, the Boston Port Act, which meant uh, Boston Port would be closed until the damages had been paid back. And four, the Quartering Act, which is probably the most egregious, which allowed royal governors to house British troops in citizens' homes without asking permission. (laughs) Oh, okay. When it comes to the whole United Kingdom thing, quickly, just... We, the whole British Empire, it's just a shit show. We were the worst. We are the worst. We're not Don't even we're, we're pretty crappy now. We were we were really horrible. Yeah, no, right? It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, British be proud. You know, it's just like, why should we? What? Look at our long history, yeah. and there's few wins. A lot of things to be ashamed so, of. One of my favorite comedians, Bill Burr, says, um, when he and his wife ever want to go on holiday, yeah. He has to research the country first to be like, all right, what do we do here? (laughs) (laughs) What do we do here? How recent was it? How bad was it? So my partner lives in the Netherlands. Yeah. Right? Whenever I go out there, it is a case of like, how's Brexit going? Oh, this stupid thing that you're doing. How is that nonsense? It's like, (laughs) I didn't vote for it. I didn't ask for this. Yeah. It's just like you just go, how's Brexit going? It's like, I, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I don't want it. If I was if I was in charge, I'd be like, nah, let's not. Yeah, let's stop. How's how's Boris Johnson? I didn't even get a choice. Yeah, I, I didn't get a choice. Recently, last time I last time he and I hung out, he was fine. You know? Yeah. It's like that. He likes he likes he likes a drink. How's Boris doing? He'll be as ineffectual as you know, someone with those kind of right wing views in 2019 will be what's really interesting the dichotomy between um, on a slight tangent now between the British parliamentary parties is that one under Boris Johnson with uh, Preeti Patel and Michael Gove and Sajid Javid in in the cabinet they've moved to a much more right wing stance than they ever were under Cameron or May yeah Um, and now under Corbyn the Labour Party is far more left wing than it ever was under Blair or Brown or even yeah, which is why you would see groups like Plaid, SNP, and uh, Green see a lot more votes because and the Lib Dems, Green like. they, and Lib Dems, especially the Lib Dems, they've been making mass traction recently. Mm. Um, they're all getting more votes, and the right, like the only consistent right wing party now is the Conservatives, and everyone who's like more right wing is the Brexit party. party. Um, well, the Brexit Party lost a lot of lost a lot of traction to the Conservatives in the yeah, recent opinion poll. But that was because of 
the EU election happen now mm-hmm. in the next run up for voting and the Brexit party aren't going to get anything Boris after really leave the EU as well. yeah so, so it's like, like the Conservative have everything which is a problem for people who are left wing which means our whole because we have so many parties now mm-hmm. no one is going to get that control um, properly like we've seen it in the past two elections now at three that no one can get enough seats uh, two of the last three uh, when Cameron got re-elected in 2015, he got majority. Oh, he got majority, did he? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. I remember now, but then he called... Yeah, that's when he quit, and then... Oh, good Lord. Um, it's just... So, but out of the past four, then it's three. Because back in 2010, it was a coalition between... Mm-hmm. It's another coalition, but yeah. It's just... He got voted for in 2005. Uh, that was... Wasn't it Blair? And then he resigned and um, Brown got it? Yeah. Yeah. Such a weird time. Like, it's not that long ago, but politically It feels it's like so such a long time ago. Yeah. Back. I, I want to take this break in the podcast to let you, let our lovely listeners know about um, all the other wonderful podcasts on podmage.com. <laughs> Just so smooth. So smooth. Yes, there's... Sorry, I learned my segue skills from you, RJ. I guess blame the teacher, not the student. I'll remind you of that when it comes to the quiz. <laughs> Let's try that again. I want to take this time to uh, ask you to... I can't even... I don't even know what I'm saying, RJ. I want to take Help this time out. to suggest that you take a look at podmish.com, a different kind of casting. There's multiple different podcasts on there, such as 69 Movies, a new podcast Way. hosted by Tom Stickler uh, and myself, as well as Dare Dare, hosted by Beth and Jones. No, yes, Beth and Jones and Portia McGrath. I thought I said Portia Jones and Beth and McGrath for a second. Uh, wonderful, strange podcasts. Uh, 69 movies. We just review movies that were rated 6.9. or Well, 69 uh, out of 100. And Dead Air is a strange podcast where they dive into the deep and wonderful strange things that this earth has to offer, such as the Bermuda Triangle, uh, Mothman, um, and much, much more. I remember what I say now. What is it? <laughs> I just want to take this time to remind you that I Don't Know History is brought to you by podmage.com. A different, a different kind of, of casting. There That's what I say. And then I throw it over to you and be like, what other podcasts are there? There we go. We've done, <laughs> we've done the bit now. We've done That's the fine. bit. Well, we can redo it if you want to. It's fine. <laughs> oh, hi, Portia. What are you doing here? Hi, Bethan. I'm just at the podcasting table where we record our podcast, Dead Air. Ah, yes, Dead Air, the podcast where we talk about the supernatural, strange and straight-up bizarre. I've heard of that. That's the one. You can find it on podmage.com and also on other retailers of podcasts. I hear that we release most Wednesdays. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, that's just wonderful. I wish more people would come and listen to Dead Air on podmage.com. A different kind of casting. Sorry, where were we? The American Revolution. Oh, yes, of course. Um, Yes, we talked about Massachusetts Patriots began training militia. Did we talk about that? No, we talked about the four intolerable acts is what we were talking about. Yes. Yes, so the final of which was the quartering act. Mm Mm-hmm which allowed royal governors to house British troops in citizens' homes without asking permission. So in response to these four intolerable acts, the first thing that really happened was the Massachusetts Patriots began training militia 
mm-hmm. uh, just outside Boston and formed their own shadow government. Yes. Full shadow government, ready to take charge in the event of a successful uprising. These were called uh, provincial congresses. Which is where the name yeah. Congress comes from today. Uh, in September 1774, the colonies convened the first Continental Congress with representatives from each colony. This allowed the colonies to agree on any action that may have been taken, and it was eventually decided that Americans would obey Parliament but secretly resist any taxation. I got really confused before because of the the word continental. To me, it's continental breakfast, but that's just because we call things continental breakfast because... It, it's typically food that comes from the European, like, the continent, European continent, yes. which is why you get continental meats. But I thought that was like... Ooh, like a nice salami. Yeah, right? Uh, and I, it took me until, shamefully, last year to go, oh, it's continental Europe, continental meats, meats that come from Europe, which means continental Congress is Congress of, of America. Of, of a continent. Of, of, yeah, like... Like, I was... It was like a rush of memory. Like, you know when you get hit with like... <gasps> it was like everything got solved in your head at it's once. Like when you, when you when you wake up, like, on the day after, like, you get blackout drunk. And um, everything comes back. Up, but everything just floods back and you're like, oh my god! You walk into the living room and you see the mistakes that you made. <laughs> I don't tend to do that anymore. Oh. Uh, I don't know. I, just, I haven't done it for a while, though the last time I was sick for 12 hours and had to eat three tacos to feel better. You see, I don't want that. I want to just eat three tacos because I want to eat three tacos. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I want to feel the enjoyment of the taco rather than this is necessary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it does feel good to need three tacos instead of want three tacos. True. Continue. All right, cool. Um, yes, so on the 1st of December 1774, the first example of this Continental Congress's decision um, was that they would boycott all British goods authorised by this new Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because of these, the intolerable acts and this response that military hostilities really began. Now, the first stage of the American Revolutionary War was actually very short. Which it lasted from February 1775 to July 1776, about 16 months. Yeah. Say about 16 months. And then we are here now. Uh, It started when Massachusetts was declared to be an open rebellion by the king. Mm -hmm. Boston was besieged and royal officials were expelled from the colonies by the colonists. American patriots took control through the previously established provincial congress. So they had this... You can see, like, they were ready to get this revolution kicked off. They started, like, they had these shadow governments and they had these continental congresses to really make decisions. It wasn't just... It wasn't a revolution in some in, in, in such that, like, the 1917 October Revolution in Russia, where it was just like, ah, oh, we're going to revolt, and everyone went, oh, okay, and they just hastily threw together these governments that didn't really work for the first few years. It was very well planned out, and I think the British also knew it was going to happen as well. But I think they didn't take it seriously enough because there had obviously been other colonial uprisings in Africa and India and places like that. But they've been put down very easily because of the might of the British army and navy. But the Americans were very populous and they they fought with a like a righteous fervor. Do you know what I mean? Because they really believed in their cause. So. British and American troops traded victories at the battles of Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill, but the Americans were winning and pushing out the British. Uh, they did have a failed invasion of Canada under Benedict Arnold, where sort of like 50-60% of the people either died, got shot or died of smallpox. 
which is kind of horrible. <laughs> but so there was a Canada America wall. No, I, I no. guess so. Yeah, if you want to think about it like that. Uh, but by March 1776, the American army had forced the British to evacuate Boston and had control of all 13 colonies. And by July 1776, there were no Crown officials left in America. Um, now essentially governing themselves, the colonies ratified their own constitutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the constitution, they, they all, all the states had different formal processes. Some of them uh, had committees to sit down and write their constitution from scratch. Some of them took the colonial charters and just removed any mention of the crown or Britain. Yeah. Uh, but a majority, they looked like this, right? They had proper, they had property qualification for votes. So you had to, you had to own land in order to vote, which is lame, but they had bicameral legislatures. Do you know what bicameral legislatures means? No. In Britain and America, we have bicameral legislature. We have the House of Commons that get passed by the House of Lords. Ah. Two, two houses. One they both, the they have to approve in, in both so before they have Congress becomes... and the Senate. Yeah. And they had local, like, state senates. Um, governors with veto power over legislature. They had, like, strong, strong governors who could just absolutely say no to any legislature. And there were no restraints on individuals holding multiple government positions and also continuing state-established religion, Christianity. The last one is interesting, no restraints on individuals holding multiple government positions because in America now there's something called checks and balances, which is a situation in which you can't be the president and also the leader of the House of Commons, uh, House of Representatives. You can't be a Supreme Court judge and also a senator because it's, we have it in Britain, it's called, it's called the separation of powers. You're not allowed to, like e- each one, each organization, the judicial, the legislative and the executive they hold each other in, in stasis, kind of. They make sure no one gets above themselves. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have that at the first one. So some states had universal suffrage and unicameral legislature, like Pennsylvania and uh, Delaware, and weak governors. And when I say weak governors, I mean not uh, incompetent, but they weren't given as much power as some of the stronger governors. They could veto the odd thing, but it was really given, they were given to the legislature to deal with lawmaking. But into the 1800s, they all tended to gravitate towards this original model. Uh, obviously, today, there's no such thing as property qualification. Uh, there are restraints on individuals holding multiple governments, but there are powerful state governors with vetoes for legislation. If you think about the way the states work, you have state congress and, and a governor in America. In the federal model, it's basically the House of Representatives and then the country's governor is the president. So yeah, by June 1776, nine nine of the 13 Congresses were ready for independence. They declared themselves ready for independence. Only Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, and New Hampshire disagreed, but they soon fell in line. Yeah. So we get to June 7th, Richard Henry Lee, who I believe was a Virginia, some kind of politician. He proposed to the Continental Congress, he proposed independence. That's the first way step to get the ball rolling. Four days later, June 11th, a committee was called for to draft a document explaining and justifying America's separation from Britain, which would later become the Constitution, I suppose. Just under just under a month later, the American Congress voted in favor of independence. Like, I'm not sure about the numbers, but I'm pretty sure it was pr- pretty high. Most people are gonna want independence. July 4th, uh, Thomas Jefferson presents his draft of the Declaration of Independence, which was unanimously agreed upon with each colony becoming an autonomous republic or state. So at, at this point, right now, they are the state of Delaware, the state of Maryland. They have no ties to each other or to Britain. 
Then later in November 1777, so we're jumping forward a bit, the new Continental Congress approved the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, which is effectively the first constitution. Mm -hmm. uh, it wanted to preserve the sovereignty of the individual states with the federal government being weak, uh, having only those powers that had been granted previously to the British monarch or parliament. So if you if you imagine what British part the power the British Parliament had, but also if there was an American Parliament as well, um, the British Parliament wouldn't have wouldn't have had nearly as much power. They suggest it, they get vetoed, it gets sent back. So that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but let's backtrack to July seventeen seventy six for a second. Um, when British forces, uh, what have I written there? British forces amassed in Canada. Mm -hmm. landed in New York and defeated George Washington's forces in the Battle of Brooklyn. So the British aren't out of it for now. They come back. Yeah. Because you think... Eventually we start, I, like, stealing their cannons yeah. and, I like, forgot about this when I was reading it. I thought, oh, they're back in Britain. It's going to take them ages to get back. No, they're just in Canada. Yeah. Because they've got all these holdings in Canada as well. So they just sail over the border. The British troops by led by Admiral Howe, this was a name you might know. No. You mentioned Howe? Admiral Howe. No. Uh, asked for a conference after they took New York. They asked for a conference to attempt to put an end to the hostilities. This conference became known as the Staten Island Peace Conference, which is something you might have heard of as well. No. It's one of the, okay, it's one of the more, um, th that along with the Boston Tea Party is one of the more prevalent events in the uh, revolutionary era. And it's also, uh, by Americans, it's seen as like this proclamation of freedom because the... Uh, the Americans rejected the demand that they retract the Declaration of Independence and negotiations fell apart. So the British said, Le leave it out, come on, just come back, come back. <laughs> America went, no, just like that. <laughs> the second stage of the Revolutionary War, however, was much longer, lasting from 1776 to 1781. Yep. So, after multiple battles, battles of Trenton, Princeton, Saratoga, Britain looked to be in control of the war. Until Britain's old enemy... Who? France. The French! In 1778, after Ben Franklin brokered an alliance between France and America, joined the war. Mm -hmm. Particularly after the Battle of Saratoga as well, because... I don't know, it just gave the French... They let them see that, oh, the Amer these Americans are legit, like... Not only did this bring France into the theater of war, it also meant that they were the first country to formally recognize the USA as a nation. And um, Spain and... Where's Lafayette? You mentioned France. Where's Lafayette? There's a Marquis de Lafayette somewhere, yeah. No, I was just... Have you, worked, like you haven't mentioned him. I was just... I was waiting for him. Oh, sorry. Uh, he, he exists. There you go. <laughs> um, also in 1789, 1779 and 1780, respectively, Spain and the Netherlands entered into alliances with France, which essentially brought them into this war by proxy. But they joined the European theater. Mm -hmm. So this war was happening in Europe as well, between Britain, yeah. France, and Holland, and Spain. Everyone was pissed off at the UK. Basically. They are the UK at this point, as well. Yeah. In 1779, after the Acts of Union. Union. The war in the North American, uh, the Northern American theater stagnated. So no one could really get a hold of New York properly. The British still had hold of New York, but there was no real movement on either side. With Southern colonies like Georgia and the Carolinas, which were easier to control, becoming the more active theaters of war. Do you know why it's called Carolina? No. Um, I believe Caroline, the Carolinas were originally controlled by the French. 
and they were named Caroline after the Carolingian dynasty. Okay. Carolina. Because I couldn't tell for a second if you were going to say it was named after someone called Caroline, uh, or if it was going to be, it's named after people who sing in a line. Like, sing carols particularly. Just, Do you remember in the Hundred Years' War episode, in season one, we talked about the three phases? No. Of the Hundred Years' War. The... I know it's split into like three eras. The first but... one, which I can't remember, the Carolingian or the Caroline phase and the Lancastrian phase. Yeah. Yeah. So the Caroline phase, it's the same. Same deal. It's the same dynasty. Oh, okay. It was a very, it's a very big long deal. Yeah. yeah. However, the British have relied on the idea that many loyalists still remained in Britain, uh, in America and that they would fortify the army that way. Um, they were wrong, however. They fought uh, into Virginia and North Carolina with severely weakened forces because everyone in America hated the British now, basically. Yeah. There's a few loyalists lying around, but not many. While the states they left behind fell into guerrilla warfare between loyalists and American militia, which negated many of Britain's gains. In Yorktown... The Battle of Yorktown. Yorktown, Virginia, a British fleet sent to rescue fleeing British soldiers... 1781... Yes. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Uh, we have to end this podcast now because I've genius history. <laughs> no. I know a musical. Uh, they were set upon by a much larger French fleet, mm -hmm. leading to a heavy French victory at the Battle of Chesapeake. Guns and where, ships. Where Hannibal Lecter's from. Lafayette brought guns and ships. Uh, the British fled back to New York, which was their last stronghold, but surrendered while under siege from combined French and American armies under the command of George Washington. Washington. So, yeah... That's kind of the siege of Yorktown is another defining moment in the American Revolution because it's the last, it's like the last hope of the British was gone. Like, yeah. A lot of historians debate whether or not it was ever really possible for the British to win with the, with the forces they sent over and the fact that there were so many alliances going on with America and they had to fight France and Spain and Holland and America. Um, a lot of people think that in 1776, the very first time they came back, they needed to strike harder uh, at Pennsylvania and some of the other southern colonies in order to actually make a dent, but they did not. They were too slow. Well, if there would be... To me, it would be like, okay, this war's going on. Pull out of America for now. We can go back at some point and raid them. Let them have their peace for now. Mm -hmm. Let's deal with our closest enemies. Get them to behave because otherwise they're going to team up and we will lose massively. They, they did do that. And then deal with what's at home, mm -hmm. Get take what they can out of them, and then all go against them. They did do that to a degree, but they didn't leave it quite as long, like, quite long enough. They yeah. left it six months. It's not enough. Before they dive back in. Especially so, for how long it takes to sail. Like, oh, they were just in Canada. No, I mean, like, how long it would take, what, what all the UK troops were... The standing in. army was in America. Yeah. I just thought, like, if they had to send more and more supplies, like... That is up, true, yeah. I was just thinking, Whereas, hold on, stockpile, ben deal with this, send more in, like, a year or two's time, then take it over. Benjamin Franklin actually gave a really interesting speech one time. Yeah. Um, he was a mathematician, so he, he worked out, based on the level of casualties and the level at which... Um, Americans are reproducing he worked out exactly how long it would take him to kill every single American and he was like it's never going to happen <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing but again that was basically him saying as long as there are Americans who have 
breath in their lungs like we'll never stop fighting that's yeah. like the level that they believe in their cause you know? it's inspiring like, yeah. even as a British person you read about the American Revolution you're kind of on the American side yeah like, no I completely British suck it, I completely <laughs> agree and then something went wrong and then we all got awful where are we Basically, going next how corrupt. so we're fast forwarding two years to the Paris Peace Treaty. Now, this is really interesting, RJ. Um, at, the fi- at the final peace treaty of the American Revolutionary War, American delegates found out um, that France had no intentions for America to have any Western expansion um, because they wanted to keep America small to make possible large gains of land. And, I mean, they later controlled the Louisiana Territory, which led to the Louisiana Purchase, etc., etc. So France had its own territorial wishes after it had lost all yeah. its... All its um, holdings in Canada Mm -hmm. so it was like oh we'll help America but then we'll we'll screw them over afterwards so don't forget that um, the treaty that America had with France was America would help France if they were facing up against an enemy and the enemy the France was facing were themselves the French yes yeah Yeah. Uh, so America was like we can't get involved because no one's leading at this point perhaps they they use this Paris Peace Treaty as a reason not to kind of get behind France because they, yeah, they realized that France kind of, they kind of done them in a little bit. Um, so the USA opened secret negotiations with Britain under the guidance of the new uh, Prime Minister, Lord Shelburne, yep. who foresaw great economic gains to be had in trading with the USA. He was right. There we are. Uh, the USA was now legally a country, I suppose. There was no such thing as the United Nations back then. Um, that's just how you recognize yeah, it. Kind of. yeah. It's like two of the two of the great powers of Europe recognize them as a country. Everyone else is going to go like, I guess they are. Like, there's no UN. It's not like everyone has to. Like, you have to have a certain amount of like, votes to get in, and also that five of the top countries so China, China, America, Russia, France, and Britain. I don't know how France and Britain are in there still. Yeah, have to. They all have to say yes. If one of them says no, you can't be in. It's like too bad. That's why. That's why Kosovo can't be a European country uh, country excuse me it's okay so why Kosovo can't be a country because China says no <laughs> um, yes so the American Revolution changed many things as we just discussed the UK lost its first major war since the Hundred Years War and the beginnings of colonialism since like between the Hundred Years War and then they'd been just been carving through the world mm-hmm. colonizing whatever they wanted it was at this point that the British Empire was at its largest when it controlled America and Canada and India and Australia and all those places. Uh, it changed the way the country's representation thought about royal sovereignty. Also, because obviously King George had made so many proclamations that ended up being really bad. Um, and sort of a little bit further down the line, by the 1830s, the Prime Minister had become the head of the government. And the king's, the king or queen's role as a lawmaker was severely severely reduced I think George IV's brother I think his name was was William IV and his daughter was Queen Victoria that's that's how close we are whereas Queen Victoria did not there was no she wasn't she didn't she didn't just make laws could she yeah that's it's at that point now after the American Revolution that we started to go towards constitutional monarchies and the Prime Minister was so much more important it's quite strange how because it's so recent for America there's not a lot of American history in in the sense like 250 years you you think mm. when you think about history you think castles you think um 
I can't even churches churches you, swords and swords and shield warfare, yeah that kind of but thing. that yeah, yeah. didn't happen, didn't happen America, there at least not with the america that we know so like prior to america with the native americans it's a case of like there there were tribes and i want to know more about that history i, I guess but like is that possible like, like i want to know more about native americans america okay. before we know it as America, so essentially. The, uh, there's not a lot of history about it. Exactly, as far as I'm aware. The first we get is like the pilgrims. Uh, but I just want to know what it was like in Native America, because, like before the crap. I guess, maybe there is, and we're just unaware. Not, We'd have to. Not really any records. Really? Yeah. Well, Native <sighs> Americans didn't write things down, did they? I d- they might have carved things onto. You know, I don't want to. Generalize. Yeah. This is what I meant. I didn't want to talk about it like it was definite fact. That maybe there is, maybe there isn't. We should do some research into it. But it would be amazing to do an episode on what just essentially life for Native Americans prior to America, because I think that would be very interesting. We can do during just about, um, okay. and like sort of the very early stages of it, because their first records of, of things like that. So that's kind of the American Dark Age. Yeah, if you think about it. Also, that like the same as it's just because I've heard different things about what life was like for Native Americans. I guess it would be during the interim period of when well the colonists yeah, went over. We can American historians can theorize in much the same way we can theorize about Iron Age and Bronze Age um, yeah. civilizations, in that they found they find you know they dig stuff up and they can make assumptions based on that. It's just I find Native Americans very fascinating as a as a culture and historically because yes it's interesting from an aspect of thinking oh isn't it like the british were like destroying and taxing and really driving the lives the quality of life for americans down during this period of like 1776 and you know that the the whole american revolution it's interesting because you there is a clear bad guy and good guy within that situation Mm. but then you step back briefly and go the people who colonized this island Mm -hmm. like they shouldn't have done it they took land away from these people and there's another bad guy in the situation well and what you end up then with is bad guys versus bad guys and then you just look at the british empire and you go oh lord what's the one thing that americans and british people have in common we're white Europeans. Yeah, that's basically it. We're white. Yeah. I don't know history. Sponsored by colonialism. <laughs> not sponsored by bringing you the awful truth about white people <laughs> and the mess they've caused. Uh, if you want to understand the awful behaviour of um, white people, especially within Europe, uh, not just white people, specifically uh, the British. Go listen to the uh, the Irish history podcast, um, Irish history. Um, I've just recently started listening to it. Uh, it's not a Podmage production. I, I, it, it's very interesting. We just, we just like it. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, do you listen to it as well? Oh. No, but I would like to. It is. It, it's quite good. It's, you know it's not hilarious. So they don't teach you about Ireland and Cromwell. Uh, yeah, in school I they could. never taught me. The never, word Cromwell? They never taught me. No clue what it is. Cromwell went over to Ireland and killed everybody. They just told me, like, oh, yeah, he he's like some figure that's held up for, you know, non-monarchists and Republicans and things like that. I'd be like, yes, he abolished the monarchy. And they're like, yeah, but he went to Ireland and murdered, like, a third of the people there. Yeah, I would... I don't want to do it with 
us two, I think I would want to get a guest host on to do an episode about Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, because like a general look at the history of Ireland, especially how the the British dealt with them. Because I think that is something that we really should take a look at. Because at least in school, once again, history is rubbish in British schools. It is a case of like, this is how we're great in the World War. This is how we're great here. Ignore what we did to America. Ignore what we did to Ireland. Ignore what we did to China and Hong Kong. We're not bastards. And every country, every country in yeah. the world, and Japan, and the native South Africa and with the concentration camps, the, the, the entirety of Africa, yeah, all of Africa. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, meant specifically and the you, Goa War, not Goa, the Boer War, the Boer War. Thank if you. You extend it out to just like white Europeans in general. You can literally cover every single piece of the globe. It's just South America, <laughs> all the Spanish, the Mexicans. They just went in and murdered the Olmecs and the Aztecs. And what I love though now because of this podcast, so I'll, get, I'll, I'll give it up to you is the fact that my interest in history is definitely at an all-time high. And even though, even though that when I do these quizzes, I do poor, and you ask me specific questions I don't know, I, whenever someone starts talking about history in conversation, I understand it and I go, yeah, and also this, I gloss over it mm-hmm. as much as I can because I and don't tell them this is definite fact, but I give them a smaller summary than what you give I'm me. I'm a good teacher, everybody. Yeah. I'm a good teacher. Um, but I would love to do a Native American episode and an Irish episode. I think that they're, they're very interesting topics and we should look more into them because the there, British are there rubbish is, there is and we don't get to talk about them. Ideas. Um, if you have any ideas for future podcast episodes as well, please make sure you tweet us at HistoryIDK. If you just search for IDK History on Twitter, you'll probably find us as well. Yes. If you want to pledge to the podcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash podmage. And there are different tiers there. You can donate to all of Podmage or you can donate specifically to IDK History. Also, if you're a fan of the entire Podmage network, you can follow at podmage.com. Uh, I just want to take this time, everyone, thank you for listening again to another episode of I Don't Know History. Anything, any parting comments, RJ? I think I know a little bit more about history. Excellent. Goodbye. This episode of I Don't Know History was brought to you by podmage.com a different kind of casting. Written by Alex Vakili and produced by RJ Davis. The theme song is Out Orbit by Revolution Void, licensed under Creative Commons Zero. Hi, we're Portia and Bethan. We host a podcast called Dead Air. We talk about everything weird, supernatural and bizarre. On podmage.com. Find us where good podcasts are found and listen to us forever and ever and ever.